Welcome to the Deep Sea Podcast. Today we talk to Tammy, mom to a powerhouse of a little dude who's being treated for relapsed neuroblastoma. Tammy has figured out a way to move forward and keep swimming against the most impossible and forceful tidal waves of her son's treatment. Tammy is a fighter, but she'll be the first to tell you she gets it all from her son. My name is Sam Taylor. I'm the parent to a childhood cancer survivor and the host of the Deep Sea Podcast, where we come together to talk to parents, caregivers, friends, and professionals who have been affected by childhood cancer. Hearing your child has been diagnosed can feel a lot like being ripped from life on land to suddenly being submerged deep into the ocean. It's disorienting, it's scary, and sometimes it's really hard to breathe. This podcast is for all of us who have supported a child through their diagnosis. It's where we'll come together to share the skills and coping strategies that have made it a little easier for us to breathe down here. But it's also a place for us to connect, to feel heard, to find support, and to swim each other to shore. So let's dive deep. When I think about my conversation with Tammy, I think about the word limitless. Nothing, and I mean nothing, will stop her. Tammy's son was short of two years old when he was diagnosed with neuroblastoma. And since then, almost five years later, Tammy has been through treatment, remission, relapse, and now they're in these uncharted waters doing everything they can to help her six-year-old son return to the life that he deserves. Tammy has seen it all. She's been through it all, and she has felt it all. And she still approaches every setback and every change of course with this measured strength and focus that I don't think I've ever met in anyone before. She fully knows that when her son's treatment is complete, she will need to assess the damage to her nervous system. But until then, it is forward motion. Despite the riptides and the tsunamis that have come at her family many, many times during her son's treatment. I met with Tammy during a scan week. And for all of us who know the level of anxiety and terror of waiting for results, I mean, technically, Tammy should have been in the fetal position waiting for the phone to ring. Most people are. But instead, she sat with me and she shared her story and the skills that she's learned to keep her head above water. I had so much fun talking to Tammy. I love her energy and her straightforwardness. And I really felt like I was in the presence of someone great, someone special, someone who's learned a thing or two about life and what it means to be here and also what it means to fight to be here. So my friends, let's dive deep with Tammy. Do I actually wonder, or do I remember life like when I didn't have to worry about an illness or about, uh, you know, have to overthink um, a bruise or have to overthink, you know, some strange symptom that otherwise would just be so normal? Uh, and I don't actually know if I do. Like, I don't remember. Like, it was only like a short sixteen months, you know, and right. it was like baby phase. So, and then I had a three year old. So, like. I don't even know if I remember that on a good, well, on a good like outside of this. Right, because you were already Griff was already involved in like the medical he had a, right. he had medical issues before the diagnosis. So because he was born so early, uh he was born with calcium in his kidneys. So which was then causing him to have high blood pressure. So we were followed by urology for the 
the calcium in the kidneys to make sure we didn't end up with any stones and nephrology for the same reason. And then also nephrology because like when your kidneys aren't functioning properly can cause you to have um, elevated like blood pressure. So uh, we had regular appointments with them. And so, you know, in July there was nothing. Yeah. And then in, in, sorry, October there was. So it like, and it was just a routine, no indication. Right. It was a routine scan. We went in, we went in to make sure that the calcium that he had in his kidneys hasn't turned into stones, um, which it likes to do, or that it was flushing out itself. And um, we went from there into the oncology world. Can you talk a little bit about how that progressed? You were alone with Griff at the scan. Were you there with your, okay, so you're alone with him. Well, like looking back, I mean, it could have been really bad. That day, we took my daughter to school like we would any other day. And Griff had had a cold, um, which then I had caught. And I thought to myself, like, just, I feel like I don't, I don't want to go to this appointment. I don't want to go to this stupid ultrasound where he's going to scream and cry the whole time because he doesn't want to be held down. And then I got to like an hour before the appointment. And I was like, well, now it's too late to cancel. I feel bad because they've already structured everything around. You know, yeah. they've got us scheduled in. Let's just go get it over with. And we don't have to come back for however long. I mean, I can't imagine if I didn't go, what would have happened? Um, and so Griff and I went in and he was actually really good. So he was 16 months, played with the toy that they gave him. Um, and after about five minutes with like the, you know, the ultrasound thing on his belly, she said she dismissed herself from the room, which I now know she was going to look at what his last scan looked like. Uh, so she dismissed herself from the room and then she came back and she proceeded to do the, this, you know, the ultrasound and whatever. And um, like they usually do, she left to go check with the radiologist and see how everything looked and whatnot. And then is anything, watched. is anything at this point no. giving you any indication that it's no. wrong? Okay. Nothing, nothing, like nothing. It's very routine for them to mm-hmm. leave and make sure the pictures are, are good. They do it every time. They did it every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, three of them walk in the room and like before I can even process what they've told me, there's a box of Kleenex shoved in my face because I think they thought I was going to cry. I have no idea. Um, you know, and she just sort of the, the tech who read it, she just kind of said to me, we have reason to believe your son has neuroblastoma. And I kind of looked at her like, okay. And like, I don't know what that is. And then you know, she said what's well, a form of childhood cancer. And like, I think in that moment, I, like I blacked out. I don't, I, maybe I, I didn't faint. I was still sitting in my chair. He was happily playing like on the stroller. And then, you know, the Kleenex comes back and I'm still not crying because I'm still not processing what they're telling me. Um, and then it went into, you know, we're going to walk you down to the ER because we're going to admit you because it'll, you know, fast track all these scans that we need to do. And they just kind of started rhyming off all these things. And I remember sitting there thinking like, can I call my husband? Like, can I just for a second, like, can I, can you stop talking for one second and let me call my husband? Uh, and so I called him, he was supposed to be leaving for Vegas the next day for a work um, trip. And I called him and I said, like, we're not coming home from the hospital. And he said, why? And I said, well, I'll tell you when you get here. I'm not going to tell him that and then make him speed down the highway, you know, to the hospital. And so I said, well, just I'll tell you when you get here. And then he called me back, you know, after five minutes of being in the car and said, well, like, why am I coming there? And so then, like, just came out. And at that point, I think I was on my way into the ER. It was just like a whirlwind of events, you know, like walking down the hallway and in there and I'm pushing the stroller. And I just remember sitting on the floor in the middle of the ER right in front of triage. Like I just kind of like sat down with the stroller in one hand and the nurse came over and she said, I'm really sorry, mom, but you can't, you can't sit here. And I kind of was like, I don't know what else to do, what else to do, you know? And so they walked me into the room. And at that point, my husband was coming through the door and like, the, like the look that we gave each other. I mean, unfortunately we've, we've looked at each other the same multiple times now. Um, it was just kind of like this blank, emotionless. Neither of us were crying. Like we hadn't, you can't process something like that in the moment, you know, like when you're, when your world just kind of stops like that. Um, and then we kind of, you know, we went off into our room and 
the nurse came in and said, you know, you'll be meeting with an oncologist and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we're going to, and it was just sort of like scan, test, scan, test, blood, you know, everything. And then I don't even remember if we were admitted that night. I'm not even sure. We might've been able to come home. No, we were admitted because only one of us could stay. And, um, and then the next day is when they confirmed that we had no blastoma um, after uh, his urine sample came back and his, his, um, his elevated. That is a fast, fast and sudden fracture. Very fast. Very fast. Like it was, it was very fast. Like from, I mean, they knew that he had neuroblastoma before they even you know, sent us up to our room that day. You know, they, they knew what they were, they were looking at and it's been that way ever since. Like even when we get a call um, and, you know, they say, well, you know, it's neuroblastoma from an MRI. And I'm like, haven't done a biopsy yet. We don't know that it's neuroblastoma. And they're like, we know, like this is, this is what they do, you know? So uh, it was a very, very, very fast turn of events. And then I believe the next day, so day two was when we went for, you know, we're signing the papers for biopsy and all that kind of stuff. And then it's a waiting game to find out, um, you know, what, what you are being diagnosed with, what form. I think with a fracture and I call it a fracture cause that's what it is, right? It's like life shifts. It splits in half. It was life before. Mm-hmm. And now this life that you've been handed that you want nothing to do with at all, mm-hmm. but you still have to exist in. And this fracture happens so suddenly there's no processing it except what I think happens. You can tell me if this happened with you in that moment, there's this almost, um, your flesh turns into armor just on its own. You didn't do anything. It happens almost like your nervous system does it for you. Yep. And I would say that that, that's happened, you know, five times now that we've been here that his, his cancer is back or worse or whatever. Like, I think, you know, you have those, you know, we spent that day one sort of like, what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to manage this? How are we going to continue to move forward? And then in, in, in that moment, you feel so helpless. And then somehow, you know, you wake up the next day and it's like, you're just in fight mode. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, I don't, you know, whether your, your body just takes over or what happens, I'm not sure, but you kind of just become like, it's, it's like, okay, so, okay. So we know what's, or at least for me, um, you know, okay. So we know what the issue is, like, how are we going to fix this? Let's now let's start, let's fix this issue because, you know, let's not let it go on any, any longer. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's pretty much all of us. I don't, I, I think it, it'll wind you for sure. And that moment when you mm-hmm. sat on the floor in the ER with one hand on a stroller and you were in a complete daze, I would call that, you know, your transition. Like you were coming, mm-hmm. you were, you were moving from one world mm-hmm. to the other, a world where mm-hmm. you breathe and live on land to a world mm-hmm. where you now have to learn how to breathe underwater. Cause it's like a whole different mm-hmm. environment. Right. And you need to give yourself that two seconds to shift, but then you hit the ground running. And a lot of families are a little bit comforted might be the wrong word, but the, when they're given a plan, like when they're given, Mm -hmm. all right, this is what we're going to do. You can take a little bit of an exhale, like, okay, this is the beginning. There is ostensibly an end and let's get on the track and just fight. Like you said, and there's no there's no relief from that fight. It is a constant, you wake up, you go to sleep fighting still. I don't think it ever leaves your veins. You are constantly in this fight mode, right? And when people ask, I don't know how you do it, which I'm sure you hear constantly. What's our answer to that question? I don't have a choice. 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 I don't, I don't have a choice as to whether I'm going to do it or not. I mean, he needs me to do it. So yeah, I, I don't, I just don't. Exactly. And no one, no one knows how we're doing it. We just do it. And, you know, you right now are in treatment. You are in active treatment. I believe you're even in a scan week. Is that right? Yeah. We're in scan week. So we are, again, you know, we're sitting on the edge of our seat kind of in the beginning where you are, right? When you're diagnosed, uh, trying to figure out what, what our next steps forward are. So Tentatively, you know, we are starting another round of chemo next Thursday. What the round of chemo is, we don't know because it all depends what, you know, the scans come back and say. So 
kind of just in, in limbo. Which you've been in for the last how many years? I mean, this is, this is something that you never think that you would ever get used to. And I'm not suggesting you are used to it at all, but once again, you don't have a choice and you went through almost two years of remission. Is that right? We did. We like, we had our, so at our two year scans, like we had transitioned into, I think what they call like short term treatment. Um, we had transitioned into there. And then once we got the scans back showing that they've actually been growth in um, like just a very small little thing that we've been kind of monitoring for two years, we went right back into the, into the world. But it, the crazy part is, is that for those two years, and I said this to other families right now that are in remission for those two years, I was, I didn't believe that we were actually in remission. Like I was always kind of waiting to be told that, and I don't know if that's just because I was, you know, trying to protect myself um, and prepare myself for the worst, maybe. Um, but I never believed that we were actually done and that, you know, we were going to get move, like move forward in life. Um, because, like, I just, I don't, I don't think I allowed myself to believe that everything was going to be okay at that point. I or did I just know? Was it mother's intuition? I have no idea. I have no idea. But I just like, and this is going to sound so awful to say, but like when they told me that he relapsed, there was a part of me that almost kind of like sighed because then I wasn't like, it was like this weight had come off my shoulders that I knew that we were going to hear that. And now I've heard it. And it was like, okay, so let's do something about it. You know, like, which sounds so horrible to say, you know, that I felt relief that they told me that my child had cancer. That's, I don't think that that's what it is, but it was, it was like, I kind of knew. And then when they said, this is it, it was like, okay. So, well, yeah, you lived for two years straddling these two worlds, right? Mm -hmm. You were straddling Mm -hmm. the cancer world. I mean, cancer is always going to be part of the world that doesn't disappear when your kid's in remission, but you were straddling these two worlds for two years. And that's, exhausting. I mean, Mm -hmm. plus you are going about life as if everything is quote unquote normal, Mm -hmm. also exhausting because there's nothing normal about straddling these two worlds. Right. No. And like, honestly, like I, and I said it to the nurses all the time, it was harder being out of it than it was being in it Mm -hmm. because in it, you're doing something about the issue out of it. You know, you're wondering, is there something going on that we're not catching? Is there something going on that we should be something about and then you kind of you, as you start to get back into like your normal life and your you know quote-unquote normal whatever that normal might be you start to fear about having that taken away from you again I feel like I have a lot more appreciation for things than other people um than other parents than other families um because we know the reality of we know the reality and the possibility of you know things just being taken away from you. Um, and so I think I appreciate life more. Um, you know, and sometimes I feel sorry for the families that don't get to experience that. I wouldn't want them to have to go through what we went through. Do you mean to, families who whose kids are quote unquote healthy? Or kid families who are in the cancer world that yeah, seeing it? Yeah. No, no, like people who have healthy children who have never had to know the fear of life possibly being taken away from you because let's be honest, a cancer diagnosis sometimes can be fatal. A lot of times can be fatal. Uh, and if I'm being honest, there's been times where I've, I've thought, what am I going to do with you guys? How am I going to go on with this? How am I going? And like, that's still a very real possibility in our life. Um, and I think the day that you, for me, like I've already mourned a loss with him in a sense, um, which sounds awful to say, but you just, you can't help your mind. You can't help your mind from going there, you know, because before, before, um, before cancer, like you, I didn't have any experience with cancer except for people got cancer and they died. And that's what I knew. You know, that's all I knew. That's and so ignorant, but so I feel like we have lived life these last five years and we will continue to for the rest of our life um, without taking anything for granted. So as shitty as COVID was, my kids were home with me. You know, I got to, 
And I'm not saying it was easy because it certainly wasn't. And we went through cancer during COVID as well. Um, but the parents that complained about, oh, another day with my child being home or, oh, so-and-so is home with their like fifth fever this week from school or whatever. And I thought like, so? Like, so what? Like, big deal. And why don't you just hang out with them? Like, hang out, just be in the same space as them. Because at some point, they could be taken away from you. And you're going to, you know, you're missing out on opportunities here. So I do want to go back to this uh, place where you are right now. Because like we said, Mm -hmm. you are in treatment. Mm -hmm. We're, We're in treatment, but a very, we're in stable treatment. Like, it's not like, you know, most often when you're in treatment, you're like, okay, well, we're going to do five rounds of X, Y, Z, and then we'll move on to here. We don't have that. We don't have, we're not following a path anymore. We are just going with the information that we are given, uh, trying one route. If that route doesn't work, then we try the next one. Because unfortunately for relapsed neuroblastoma, there's not really, um, a path that you follow, um, especially given, you know, all of the little things that we have going on. Um, so we're in a very unstable scan week, I would say. Yeah. And I have this amazing ability to just put up blinders to the fact that we're in scan week. Find you, if my phone rings, you told me you were calling. Thank you. If my phone rings, my heart sinks and I feel like I'm going to vomit because I'm wondering if it's the hospital. But I have this amazing ability to just kind of like stay in the path of getting through the week, especially if he's feeling good. Like I can just kind of block out all the other noise and just, you know, kind of keep, keep like, I can just keep going. I, I, it's probably a fault, but I kind of ignore a lot of things. Like, I don't even think I've, I've processed our original diagnosis yet, to be honest with you, because We've just kind of been in fighting. I don't think you were, when are you supposed to do that? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, And so the more I pretend like things are okay, the further ahead I can get, you know, like. What a fantastic coping skill. I mean, seriously, if it's working for you. But I'm probably delusional. It's working for me, but I'm probably delusional. Like at some point, this is all going to come crashing down, I'm sure. But it, but it works if he's feeling well. And like, we just had two awful, awful months of him feeling so terrible and not eating and losing weight and pain. And like, I just have this ability to just kind of like, I don't think it's delusional. I think you have, I think you have like Jedi skill, self-preservation and I wouldn't worry about where it's coming from. I wouldn't worry about Mm -hmm. what's going to happen when you Mm -hmm. might not have that skill Mm -hmm. right now. You have it. And I, I think the fact that you're attaching it to his, how he feels Mm -hmm. is a really genuine, honest way to do this. And I, Mm -hmm. and I commend you for making that connection because you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And it's always that way. Our kids health Mm -hmm. impacts everything. It's our driving force. It's our driving force, right? You know, on the way to school this morning, we walk and it's like the slightest little incline and we get up there halfway up and he was like, I'm tired. And then it's just like a constant, it's a reminder that like, yes, he is tired. Like his body, his little body is tired, you know? So then I picked him up and I carried him. Um, but as soon as he said he was tired, I kind of felt this like part of me, like, like I like slumped, like, right. Right. Of course you're tired. And then, you know, pick him up and continue whatever. And then an hour before I come on with you, I get this wonderful picture of him with his like sister and the Chio bear at school. And I'm like, he's doing great. He's having yeah. a great day. You know, he's having a great day. And so. So you're living in these moments. Else in the way. Yep. Yeah. You're living in these moments and you're living in this very, like you said, a tunnel vision mm-hmm. that is, that is helping you cope. And I honestly think it is the only way to do it. I, the distractions, the, the, all of the places that we can be pulled right now, mm-hmm. um, they don't matter. They don't matter at all. So what you're doing makes a lot of sense to me and I'm glad that it's working for you and don't worry about how and what, and you know, the, the ramifications of this tunnel vision. I don't, wouldn't worry about that right now. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, like it's, it's so far out of my control, but exactly. because it's so far out of my control, I try to control everything else. <laughs> but I can like stuff on the table, let's organize, you know, but, um, if he's feeling well, I just had this sort of ability to block out reality and just keep going forward with, you know, with what is, is in front of us like that day. I think you'll look back on this one day and be so proud of yourself Mm -hmm. for using this tactic. It is wise. It is smart and it's working when it works, when it doesn't work, that's okay too. You know, it doesn't always work. work. So from where you're sitting right now in this tunnel with this one focus, which is obviously Mm -hmm. Griff's health, what else do you see around you in this tunnel? I mean, I know it's pretty pinhole, but what else is around you? Are you finding connections through any parents who are, you know, again, I know your treatment is extremely unique, but are you finding any connections through other parents who are in unique situations as well? Have you made any contacts that are giving you little sparks of, you know, oh, there's a place I can exhale? No, if I'm being a hundred percent honest with you, I've, I've not met one person who is where we are. Um, the only other neuroblastoma families that I know, um, either have children who are still in it for the first time, uh, children who are in remission or parents who have, have lost their children in the fight. Uh, I don't know anybody, haven't met a single person who is on their fifth year of fighting this particular, like I, if I'm being honest, I don't think I've, I know one single person who's in their fifth year of fighting period and still in active treatment. How does that make you feel when you say that? You know what? Oddly, it gives me, and I've said this to the, the, I mean, it's exhausting, but I've said this to the nurses, you know, when we kind of have to change course or whatever, there's, there's something that's keeping him here. And there's a reason why we're still, he's still being given these opportunities and why his body is still holding strong. Um, and so it kind of like, it gives me this, again, maybe delusional sense of hope that the further we go, something will come along that is, you know, going to be whatever our miracle is that we need. Um, and like, you know, we're going to cure him, even though we've been told that it's very unlikely he'll ever be cured. That was like a, you know, whatever. That's what I think. Sure. But we're going to do everything we can to get there. Like, there's just this, like, I keep thinking to myself, you know, there's, if he wasn't meant to be on this earth five years into fighting cancer, he wouldn't be here. And he is. So it's like, you know, it gives you this like strange sense of hope that something, someone is going to come along with like the answer that you, that you need. You cling to that hope. You must cling Mm -hmm. to that hope. There's Mm -hmm. no, you hitch your wagon to that hope and you let it drag you through Mm -hmm. this mud and Mm -hmm. never let go of it, Mm -hmm. ever let go of it. And I don't think you will. I don't think you're capable of it. You can either live in bliss or live blissfully ignorant, which is what I choose to do. Like or both, you know, you also, you, yeah. you do both like you. And I think that, I think that's one thing that I've learned a lot through this is that mm-hmm. it's not one or the other. It's usually both. Like you can be in a pit of hell. You can be scared. You can be, you know, terror. You can be in a state of terror mm-hmm. at the state of where your life is, but you can also find some beauty and notice, you know, and feel that love from other people. So Mm -hmm. I think it's both. And, uh, that's been a valuable, I don't know what lesson, I guess you want to call it is that it's not always one or the other that you can sort of coexist in the dark, knowing that there's going to be little flashes of light. I think I kept looking for like a flood of light, like when it was really dark, I kept thinking, you know, there should be this like flood of light. Where is the hope? Where is the light? But it never really came that way. It was in like flashes, like sparks, you know, and you would get this little jolt of hope of light and it would be what kind of got you on to the next step and the next step. And those little, those little sparks did come, 
not always, but they came and it was enough, but it's never quite, uh, these like big ceremonial, Oh wow. Everything's amazing. It doesn't always work that way. No. So for families who are in treatment right now, who are maybe listening and they're hearing your story and they know how unique things are with, with your treatment and where you are in this, you know, this five year experience you've had, what can you, what can you say from where you're sitting? So, so for families who, you know, are newly diagnosed, the one thing I always say to them is like, life will go on. Life does continue. You know, right now you can feel like your world is crashing in on you, but eventually you'll get in your new groove, you know, and you will learn to, to adapt and cope with life and, you know, roll with sort of the punches because, you know, you, you still will get to do those, those things that, you know, you dreamt of doing and, and whatnot, but like, you just, you just have to allow yourself to get there. You know, you kind of have to pick yourself up out of the hole, poke your head around and you'll see that like, you can, you know, you can continue, you can continue on. And like, something is Dory just keep swimming. Like, just keep, just keep, just keep going forward. You know, even, even when you're hit with, you know, a, a low blow, you just have to keep moving forward because if you don't and you allow yourself to stop and you, you kind of sit and, you know, think about the shit storm that you're living in, it's going to be that much, you know, like even, even when I think that, you know, when we get the phone call that scans aren't good, you know, I, I'm not gonna lie. I spend a little bit of time like wallowing in that, like, this is shit. This is, you know, what, how, how are we going to move forward? And, you know, I go through everything in my mind that now is going to have to change. And then I get through that. Things don't change. We just learn to adapt and we continue moving forward, you know? So I think believing that, you know, there is life with cancer is a very, strong thing to do because, you know, our lives hasn't, haven't stopped because of cancer, you know, our lives have kept going forward because, you know, there's going to be one day where we're on the other side of this. And, you know, if we just let our lives stop for these last five years, well, you know, what have we lived for really? Exactly. You know, and you know, your proof of your proof of all of this, you know, your proof that you always figure out a way right? And on days when you think there's no way I'm going to know what to do next, there's no way I know where to put my foot. What direction is there even a ground under me right now? You are proof like you, you specifically, you are proof that there always is a ground no matter what, because you're still here and you have kept walking. They might, there might've been moments when you've been crawling. There might've been times when you're being dragged I don't know, but there's always been momentum and there's always been movement and you're proof of that. So I, I, I hope families see that and know that no matter what there is going to be forward motion, time will carry you through, especially when you don't think that's possible. It does. It does. And, uh, you've, you've found, you've found ways to turn this into helping others. You found ways to essentially make a business where you're helping and raising money and funding these incredible supports for Griff and for your family. Can you tell me a little bit about how you've created this business and, and how, how it's directed at helping families? Like my, as selfish as it sounds, my goal wasn't really to help families. It was to help myself. Um, because I needed, yeah. I needed you know, those times when he was sleeping and it was just me and him home because my daughter was at school, I needed, again, to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. If I sat down, I, can't, I don't stop. I don't sit. Like, this is the longest I've sat, I've sat down in a very long time. I don't stop and sit during the day. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm constantly on the go because I constantly need my mind to be on the go. And so, you know, I kind of, well, I guess, so one of the first families that we met, um, when Griff was diagnosed, um, they had a little girl who was two days younger than Griff, um, diagnosed with neuroblastoma as well. 
and she was diagnosed with high-risk neuroblastoma and MIC positive. And so we knew they were four or five months into fighting this. And so we were kind of given the rundown from them of what, you know, it looked like. And this was even before we had been given Griff's diagnosis. Like this is day two. We meet this family in the hallway and their daughter's out in the hallway and she's running up and down, you know, and she's got the IV pole behind her and they're running along. Um, and we just sort of like, we connected, they kind of became mm-hmm. our like oncology family, even though we had very different paths. Um, they were often admitted for fevers. Um, you know, they went for a transplant and, and whatnot, but I always, felt connected to them, A, because of the age of the kids and because they were the first family that we've ever met that sort of gave us any type of advice. Um, and I'll never forget, I'll never forget the day we were walking to the hospital and her and her dad were, were coming out and they just found out that she was in, like the cancer was gone and she was moving on to the next phase of treatment. And I remember saying to my husband, like, oh my Like, imagine how good that would feel. Like, how good is that going to feel to be given that kind of news? Um, You know, and then then fast forward, and then Griff's in remission, and then she relapses. um, And and in the end, she she lost her fight um, against cancer. And we're going to start to cry. But, like, the way that I felt for that family, because I felt so connected to them, just, like, sparked something in me. And I was like, look, I'm doing this, like, sitting around doing this crafting to like, you know, keep my mind busy and like keep myself occupied. Like surely I can do something with this. Like surely I can. So I made a mug. It said fuck cancer on it. And I started selling them and $5 from every mug sold. I donated back to the hospital that Griff is getting treatment at and that she was getting treatment at. Um, and then it kind of just spiraled from there. Like this little mug just kind of took off. And then I started doing shirts. Um, and then it kind of, you know, became, I made shirts that we wore to treatment. And then I made shirts for other families to wear to to treatment. And it was like creating this community of like oncology families. Um, you know, when I make shirts for their kids who were going to ring the bell and, you know, for remission and, and whatever. And I just, I realized through all of this that I can make other families, you know, feel a little less alone. Um, I always wore a shirt that said Griff's fight, fight like a kid, Griff's fight to every single appointment for the first like seven months that we were, we were in treatment. And it was like putting on my little shirt that I was going to wear to like a hockey game, like my sports team shirt, you know? And, um, I saw a lot of other families like doing the same. And I thought like, surely like I can play some part in, in, you know, doing this and putting a smile on, on, on the faces of like families or kids or whatever. And then just kind of like evolved into this like amazing, like community of not even oncology families, like just people and like nurses at the hospital, wear them nurses at sick kids, wear them, um, nurses at McMaster, wear them. Um, you know, and I'll see people out of the grocery store wearing one of my short, like sweatshirts. And I like, I smile because like they, they bought it because A, they wanted to help mm-hmm. and B, because they thought enough to go online and show a little bit of support for like our family and other families that are going through this. Um, and to date, like, I don't even know how much money has come from the sweatshirts. Like, I think it's somewhere around like $70,000 in the last like three years since I started actually like raising money. Um, but then through it, I've met so many families because, you know, people will write and say, well, you know, so-and-so was just diagnosed, you know, can I get them, uh, can I, you know, get my child a sweater? And then, you know, then I become connected to that family and like, it's just, I don't know. It's, Look, you know, this doesn't seem real as crazy as that sound. Like what came me came from me sitting, you know, in my basement trying to keep myself occupied during, you know, some really dark moments in our life now has still driven me forward, yeah. you know, this long and it's still going. And like, it really is, it, it's a survival mechanism for me, you know? And so selfishly it's helping me, but through that I get to help so many other 
people and like, and connect so many other fun. people. Yeah. And in such a lonely in such a lonely world, right? Exactly. Like, like mm-hmm. we know it's a very lonely, isolating place to be thrown mm-hmm. into to have these ways to connect. It's a lifeline. Like it's it's so much more than a mug and it's so much more than a t-shirt. It's a lifeline and it's a way to make you feel, I think the team jersey is a really great way of putting it. Mm. You know, you put that on every day and that was, you were team Griff and you are on a team with all the other parents who are fighting for their kids and your kids. You know, we're all, Mm. we're all doing it as a collective. Mm. I, I have a couple questions before we Mm -hmm. wrap it up that I Mm -hmm. wanted to ask, what has been the greatest act of kindness that you've received during treatment or since diagnosis? Honestly, like people taking me seriously enough to, to, to buy these items that again, I'm like, what is it called? Imposter syndrome. Like I don't take myself seriously. I do not take myself seriously in the least. Um, but maybe I should like, I think, I think the, the greatest act of I think that's, that's probably the greatest act of kindness is that I put myself out there and people received it and they, you know, they want to show their love and their support. They received it, they support it and they mm-hmm. want to be part of it. Yeah, and exactly. I can totally see how you would feel the imposter syndrome, but yes. let me tell you as someone who's looking at you and who knows your story and knows what you're doing, I think of you as a leader. Like I think of you as someone to to follow in this. And like I said, hitch my wagon too, because you have figured out a way to walk forward for whatever it's worth. You have figured out a way to walk forward and those people are really special. So yes, they're probably buying your sweatshirts and mugs, et cetera, because they're really cute and nice, but it's also because of you. And I don't ever want you to doubt that. Thank you. Okay. My next question is, do you care for yourself at all? Do you do anything that is more than maybe taking a shower? And I'm joking, but like, have you shown yourself any kinds of self-care and what is self-care to you? No. Um, no, because life's so inconsistent that like, you know, I, I can't like, it's very hard for me to, to plan. Um, so self-care for me, Honestly, like it sounds so dumb, but like I had a standing reservation with my chiropractor every Tuesday because it made me feel so good to go to the chiropractor every Tuesday. Um, and then life happened and I couldn't always make my Tuesday's appointment. So I just, I just canceled them because I never knew where we were going to be at any time. I really try as much as sometimes, like, I just don't feel like doing anything with anybody. I'd rather sit on my couch. I really try to do the things that I enjoy. Like I love going to concerts. And so any, like, I love I live for live music. It's the only time where like life stops and I can live in the moment. Um, Who are your favorite bands? I listen to country music. Oh, amazing. (laughs) Um, Anything. Honestly, I will go to any live show anywhere because it's like you can just immerse yourself in that experience and like everything else just kind of. It's an escape. Shuts off, you know? And so any chance I get to do that, like it really, really helps me. Um, other than that, I don't really have anything. Like I would love to say, like I go to yoga and I do no. these things and I, I really, I'm really keen. Like I walk the kids to school every day because that walk home, even if Griff is with me, it's just, you know, 20 minutes where it's in the morning, you know, where I'm alone or Griff's with me. And then 20 minutes at the end of the day where, you know, I just like, I really, I really try to do that because I feel like it's, you decompress after that yeah. morning rush and then you decompress before, you know, after school happens. Um, so that's the one thing that I really try to do is just, you know, do the walks. But other than that, I don't would love to say I do like fun things. No, no one does, by the way, no one does. Sometimes that answer is honestly, I brushed my teeth. Is there a unique way that your people have come and surrounded you and cared for you during this time, your family? So my family is six and a half hours down the highway. So I was here by myself. I'm here by myself with my husband's family, who's absolutely wonderful. And so that was really hard because like, I just didn't have my, you know, as much as I want to just go sit on my mom's couch and be like, this sucks. Uh, I couldn't. And 
like I, it's, it's just my nature, but I, I don't, I don't accept help from people. You know, like I, I prefer to do things myself. And again, that's my coping mechanism. I, you know, what can we bring you for dinner? Nothing. I've got it. You know, like that's my coping mechanism is to stay busy and stay on top of things and, and keep life moving forward the way that it was until you are in it. Like until I was in it, I 1000% did not think that this would ever be a world that I could ever live or succeed in. Uh, but we are, you know, and, and, you know, maybe that's not the same for everybody. I'm sure there are people who, I know there are people who, you know, don't handle it the same way, um, as I have, but I wish they could, because I wish they could see that there is, you know, light in the dark of days and, you know, that even when you're giving like the shittiest news, like, There's still something to be thankful for. And I think that my gratitude comes from seeing the worst case of a cancer diagnosis, you know? And so I am always thankful, even if we're given real shit news about a scan, we're still given another chance to keep going in this, you know? And, And I think that that is like, that's something I never wanted to have to be thankful for, but you know, I the reality of the world that we're living in. Okay. Last question. And we've mm-hmm. kind of talked about this. There's so many quotes and people who talk cool. about how, you know, the most, the most massive characters are seared with scars. You know, the, the people who go through the most terror and hard things will sometime will someday look back on those days as the most beautiful. And when I heard those things during my daughter's treatment, I, I liked to know that maybe there would be a day when I'd look back on this and find the beauty in it. But at the time I wasn't focused on it, but I wonder what that makes you feel like when you hear that there's a chance, maybe you'll look back on these days and think of them as see beauty in them or think of them as giving you character. What does that make you feel when you hear that, when there's a possibility of that? You know, there, there, there very well could be a day where Griff's not here. You know, that's the reality of the world that we're living in. Um, and if there is, which, you know, <laughs> there, he, there just can't be, you know, um, I w- will look back and know that I gave him all I could mm-hmm. during this time. We made the best memories out of the worst moments. Um, even on the days, you know, when we were stuck in the hospital in isolation and we would just lay in his bed and I don't know, he would play a video game on his iPad or we would like when we were in for a uh, transplant every night, we would walk down the hall and we'd pick out a couple movies and then we'd bring them back to the room and put them in the DVD player and we would just lay there and watch them. Um, outside of a cancer diagnosis, we wouldn't, outside of the world we were living in in that moment, we wouldn't have done that. There's no way we would have just laid in a bed and watched three movies, mm-hmm. you know, three hours of just laying there doing nothing. There's no way that would have happened. Um, so like I would find probably the beauty in those moments yeah. that would otherwise not happen um, where we just were still, you know, because again, life's busy and you miss, you can miss out on these things, you know, you do miss out on them. You do. You do miss out on them. And even, even now, I mean, being out, like we're still in it and we're, you know, Tuesday, we have this Wednesday, we have this Thursday, we have this Saturday, Sunday, or hockey. And like life is just Mm -hmm. cycling forward. And then, you know, you get something like a neutropenic fever or where he's feeling unwell and you're forced to slow down in the most, awful way, but you do, and you just kind of, you know, take in everything that's, that's happening in that moment. And so I think I would, you know, find beauty in the fact that we Mm -hmm. really just, you know, we optimized. That's the perfect word. Thank you so much, Tammy, for The time that you spent, especially during a scan week, I mean, 
like I said, scan weeks are the stressful, uh, anxiety ridden times, I think, in a lot of our kids' treatment. And the fact that you were able to take the time to sit with me and to speak so eloquently and beautifully with so much power and strength about the way you have endured and kept swimming through the roughest waters. I mean, I know you would hate me saying this, but you you really changed me. You are an inspiration to me. I know you want to stay just being a mom who's navigating life a little differently, and I respect that, but just over here on the side, let me say that I think you are that really cool fancy fish at the front who is leading us all, and uh, I have I have eternal respect and love for you and for Griff. If you want to support Tammy and her really cool business with great merch and items that are supporting kids going through childhood cancer, you can find her at Little Press Co. Her website will be in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you, Tammy. I'd also love to give a huge thanks to my dear friend Ian Blackwood for his beautiful, moving song, Carry Me to Water, also for his professional advice and support and friendship, along with his wife and co-producer, Aaron. I love them both so much. Big thanks also to Andrew Lewin at Cuttlefish Media for his production and editing and his boatloads of patience. Thank you to my dear friend, Kate Mitzi, for the logo design. And the biggest thanks to my little girl, for teaching me that the deeper you dive into the darkness of the ocean, the more buried treasure you will find. Until next time, that's where you'll find me. You'll always see you